Construction cones. How many of you love seeing those on the roads in Michigan? Now, we know Michigan is not known for our good roads. So you should actually be happy when you see a construction cone on a Michigan road because that means they're fixing it. That means that your car is not going to drop into the Grand Canyon as you're driving by and then come out on the other side and someone's going to go, oh, I think you're, you know, your steering's all messed up. Oh, thank you, Michigan roads. Kasha and I, a few weeks back, were at a Kia. How many of you guys have ever been to a Kia over in Canton? Yeah. And uh, so one of the things I love about IKEA is how uh, you can go in there and they're always, it seems like they're always doing some type of construction. So you walk through and you see cones like this throughout and they'll kind of have things all, you know, uh, you know like secret so because they, they're kind of redoing these spaces and so they, they create these home spaces. And you'll walk through and all of a sudden you'll come to a space that's like 800 square feet and you're like, man, 800 square feet, like, that's not like really a huge, huge amount. But what they can put in 800 square feet is amazing. It like blows your mind. You walk inside and you're like, you're like, dude, this is like maybe, you know, like the size of my living room. But in their 800 square feet or whatever, it's like there's a bathroom in there. There's a kitchen in there. There's a bedroom and there's a living room all inside of one. And then they have all these fold-down options for things to come down. And you're like, this is fantastic. I need this. And I love people watching. Anyone like people watching? You people, I, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm kind of weird maybe. I, I'm just a people watcher. And you'll see people coming to Ikea and, and, the, and you'll see, you always see the newlywed couple, right? The newlywed couple, you can always, because they come in and, and she'll be like, this is so wonderful. Look what we could do to our apartment. And he's kind of still goo-goo-eyed, so he's like, whatever you want, baby. So they go and they start writing all the numbers down, right? And they're going through it because you got to write the numbers down. Because you, they, don't, they don't tell you this till the end. So you write all the numbers down. Oh, I want this and I want that. I want that. And so if you were to like redo your whole house and you did it the way they would do it, you have to go down and, and after you've walked through all these amazing spaces and they have all these things that you can buy and, and then you smell the cinnamon rolls in the air because they're known for their cinnamon rolls, and they start drawing you through. And I think they put the cinnamon rolls at the end, and the reason is, is because you have to go through, and you have to go and become the stock boy. You have to pull all the stuff off the shelves. Now, that wouldn't be that bad if the items were put together. But you're like, I'd like a filing cabinet. I know this from personal experience. I'd like a filing cabinet. They're like, oh, well, that will be box A and box B. Two boxes for a filing cabinet? It's a filing cabinet. So you go and you get them, you buy them, you bring them home, you pull out the instructions, right? You start reading the instructions. You're like, who wrote these? Did they get a kindergartner who wrote them? Because the problem is, is most of them are pictures. They don't even spell it out. And so you start looking through, and it shows a picture of this, and this size screw, and this, and this is how you put it together. It took me over an hour to put Kasha's filing cabinet together from Ikea. An hour. How long? Oh, two hours, excuse me. Two hours to put a filing cabinet together. Do you know what I'll never do again? Is buy a filing cabinet from Ikea. It's just too much work. But yet the instructions are there. In this series, as we've been looking at things, one of the things we come to realize is this, is that what we're talking about is a lot of work. Five-fold ministry is a lot of work. 
I understand why pastors look at that and they, and they, they look at the idea of fivefold ministry. It stands for the apostle. So you got the apostle here. You got the prophet here. You got the evangelist, all right? You've got the, the teacher and you've got the shepherd. You got all five of these gifts that are in operation in the church. All five of them. God has called us to have all five of these gifts working inside of the church. But, but here's what's crazy. Is the instructions that he's given to us, we look at them, and they're pretty clear. They've been laid out. But what we have done is we've complicated it. We've complicated the instructions and we've become overwhelmed because we don't really know how to make all five of them work together in unity because there's tension among all of them. They're all tense with each other, right? The apostle who believes that, you know, God is calling them to create new things, to go out and do the work of ministry and, and new endeavors, and, and they're dreaming, and, and they're looking at how can we create systems to see God move in these ways. They're out here, and the prophet is saying, we don't need systems. All we need is God. All we need to do is take care of others who are around us, and the apostle comes in, and the apostle tries to do this. He tries to cover up, or the prophet tries to cover up the apostle, and there's this tension that's constantly being put inside of the church. And the enemy loves making you and I think that the instructions, the word of God, is complicated like an Ikea set of instructions. And so most churches do this. Most churches come in and have a primary or at least maybe sometimes a secondary gift. In the Western church, most churches in America are developed upon the shepherd teaching gift. Well, Pastor Brian would just take care of me and meet my needs. If Pastor Brian was at the hospital when I was sick, if Pastor Brian was here and if he was leading the church the right way and if Pastor Brian was doing this and, and that, he's the pastor, he's the shepherd, he's the one that's supposed to have all the answers. Yeah? So we hire a shepherd, right? We hire the shepherd, the pastor of the church, and we say, Pastor Brian, you're the one. I voted for you. You need to do what I've told you to do, what I think you should do. I give, I'm faithful. Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, Pastor Brian, shepherd, pastor, teacher. In fact, Pastor Brian, you're supposed to be all five of these. All five of them, because there's sometimes, Pastor Brian, where I want you to really teach me God's word. Like, I need some meat. Like, I need you to dig deep, Pastor Brian, into God's word, so I, I really need you to be that as well. Pastor Brian, I want you to dream new dreams, but not, not, not at the comfort of me, but I do want you to dream new dreams. So you, you, you be that, Pastor Brian, you've got to hear from God. If you don't hear from God, Pastor Brian, if you do not hear from God, you are not the one I need. So comes in, then, then you have the evangelist. Pastor Brian, we need you out there saving my friends. Come on, my coworker at work needs to know Jesus. Pastor Brian, why? Why have you not told them about who Jesus is, Pastor Brian? 
Come on, Pastor Brian. Could be Pastor Brian. Could be any pastor. The church comes in and the church says, Pastor Brian, we need you to be the thing that we can build upon. And the church finds itself in a place where they say, if we can just hire the right pastor, in fact, that's the key. If we can hire the superstar pastor, right? Like the one who has all the answers, has it all figured out, then the church can move forward. Why then the gates of hell shall not prevail. I mean, everything and anything can happen. But how many of you know if I try to come and stand on this? Well, let's put this back here. Hold on, hold on. Let's. I mean, it's all five, so we should be okay, right? So if... If... Okay, all right. What are you guys worried about? Just, just, just give me a minute. All right. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so that's not quite working. That's not quite working there. In fact, if you have your Bibles, if you could open up to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1, a passage of scripture that we've been looking at throughout this entire series. But there is a real enemy who wants you and I to think that the church can be built upon one man who has all the answers. But the problem is, is even though that one man can at times keep things balanced... The minute pressure comes, it begins to fall apart. So the enemy's no dummy, right? Like the enemy comes in, he's like, yes, if I can get the church to think that it's all about one, then I win. Because I know that what comes through with life is sin, is fear, is doubt, is struggles, things that if you were to begin to stack them up upon the church, what would happen is, is you would see the church try to balance this one thing by having one pastor. So it's like, oh, that pastor failed. He had sin in his life. The church began to fall. Well, what we got to do is we got to bring on another guy who can have all of these. And the enemy is like, yes, 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 yes. Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, the church cannot see that one of the things is, is that the church actually has been given instructions, he says, in how they are to operate. In fact, he goes on to say, Ephesians is an inside look at what is beneath and behind and within the church. He says the whole book of Ephesians is all about what is beneath, behind, and within the church. So Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says this. 
I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul is saying, listen, walk a certain way. Act a certain way. Talk a certain way. Be who God's called you, the manner to which you've been called. He says, with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Those are all things that we look for as attributes that we want in a pastor, that we want in, in, in our leadership around us. We want them to be humble. We want them to be gentle. We want them to have patience. We want them to love one another. We want them to be eager to maintain unity. In fact, Pastor Brian, it's, it's your responsibility to maintain unity in the church. It's your responsibility to do all those things. Can I just tell you, no, I can't. I can't, and I won't because God has not called me to do that. He's called me to help equip a church body that does that. It says this, there is one body, and I can just picture Paul talking through this, because see, the church is kind of having these struggles. The church is, is kind of a mess. He's writing these letters to the church. He's writing to those who are in Ephesus. He says, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to be one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all all. He goes on to say, but grace, everyone say, but grace, was given to each one of us according, now get this, to the measure of what? Of Christ's gift. What Paul is saying is, listen, you want those things present around you. You need those things. And what I'm going to do is through my grace, through my grace that is sufficient for you, through my grace of love, I am going to give you a measure, a part. It's a gift for me. And then all of a sudden he kind of goes, Paul goes in this moment where he starts talking about the ascension of Christ. It says this, therefore it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. What Paul is reminding the church about is, listen, when Jesus ascended onto the throne room of God, what he did is he did that so that he could then give these gifts to men. Jesus is no longer here. He has ascended. And because Jesus is no longer here, who is the embodiment of all? Jesus is the embodiment of each and every one of these gifts. Okay? But he ascended. Paul's reminding us, hey guys, listen, Jesus isn't walking the earth right now. He's not walking among you. Remember, he ascended. The one who has all five of these ascended to the Father. It goes on to say, in ascending, what does it mean? But that he descended in the lower regions of the earth, and he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Oh yeah, so when Jesus died upon the cross during that three-day period, he actually went and took the keys back from the enemy and said, listen, <laughs> I'm the victor, not you. And that's something we should be rejoicing over. He took care of that, so he descended, took care of that, and then he ascended to the Father. And then this is what's, this is the great thing. Verse 11. He gave. So remember, we've just said that he gave a gift. It says he gave the apostles. Okay, Apostles, the prophets, okay, there's a prophet. He gave what? Shepherds, evangelists, teachers. In fact, if we put them in order here, it'll spell a word, not a word, but a thought. 
a pest. Now here's the reason why he did it. He gave the gift so that we could equip the saints for the work of the ministry in the building up of the body of Christ. So no longer is it one who can fulfill all the answers. I gave an apostle, I gave prophets, I gave evangelists, I gave shepherds, I gave teachers, I gave them all to build up the body of Christ. And yet along the way, we fell into this idea that it's the pastor who equips. Yeah, that's, that's a great verse, Pastor Brian, but your job's to equip. Hey, we, we pay you, Pastor Brian. We pay you. So you're, you're supposed to do this. If you don't want to do it, Pastor Brian will find somebody else to do it. Can I just hit the pause button and say you will never find one person who can be all these things like God intended them to be. The word equip means this, to perfect, to mend, to join together, to put in order, to strengthen, to complete, to fulfill, to heal. Think about that for a moment. The responsibility of putting on one man to do all those things. You know why pastors are having moral failures? I'll tell you why. All right. We know you have a calling on your life, pastor. Here we go. Come on, pastor. Be the song and dance. Be the one. Pastor comes in, he's like, you know what? Forget this. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Rob Burkhart, poor guy. He's a teacher. Well, Pastor Brian, how dare you, how dare you fall? How dare you fall, Pastor Brian? And what happens is, is when we fall, because we put everything on one man, it affects the church body. Because the church has always been meant to be united together in faith. In fact, if we keep reading here in Ephesians, and this is what I love about the scriptures, it's like, it is like the perfect instructions and manuals for you. So he says all that. And then he says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, caring about every wind of every doctrine, by cunning, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, rather, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Grow up! Hmm. Hmm. Let's just pause there for a minute. Grow up. Not just grow up, it says in every way. Into what? Into him who is the head, into Christ. If you don't know, Paul's like, listen, into the head. And he's like, but if you don't know who that is, the head of the church is not Pastor Brian. 
It's actually Jesus. It's actually Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus gave a gift to the church, the people of God, so that he could still be the head in the church body. So here it is. From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is what? Working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Wow, in love. Okay. The church in Western culture, many people come in and say the church doesn't really love people. They don't know how to love people. I think it's because we put it all in one. Okay. Paul writes this. Because Paul says if there's unity, and if people are working together, and they're doing what God's called them to do, then what will happen is the body will grow, the church, and it will build itself up, the church, with what? With love. And what will happen is the church will be the church that God has called them to be and the gates of hell will not prevail. But it's scary because many of us have a primary function that we play in the body of Christ and we are rubbed wrong by the other functions of the body. We don't like it. I don't like the way that you interact. In fact, not only is it that we, we get rubbed by them, but we long for somebody else's gift. Some of you may have been up here and watching Scott, you're like, man, that guy can play guitar and he can sing. Man, like, I, I want that gift. But is that the gift God gave you? Is that the function he's called you to? Scott has a function God's called him to. I have a function God's called me to. Kasha has a function that God's called her to. Cindy has a function that God's called her to. Harry has a function. All of us have different functions that we've been called to. I love what Pastor Ron said a few weeks ago. It's just such a great statement. He said this. He said, faith never grows in the comfort zone. Man, what a powerful statement. Is that faith never grows in the comfort zone. And we say, Pastor Brian, why, why are you telling me that? Because this right here, in some way, shape, or form, we, we think this is comfortable. And here's why, I think. Because democracy has crept into the church and can I just tell you, the kingdom of God is not a democratic situation. You don't get a vote and be able to say, God, this is my vote. Do what I told you to do, God. It's not. He's the king. He's the one who calls the shots. But in Western culture, we want to be like the government. President Trump, I voted for you. You do what I told you and want you to do, President Trump. Because I voted for you. And then we get mad when he doesn't do what we want him to do. Or he does the opposite of what we want him to do. Because we voted. I had my vote. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a diehard American. 
America. America. What's happened is we've let that thinking creep into the church. Okay, I'm going to vote for a pastor. That's how you got me. You voted for me. Oh, I got to put my vote in. Some of you voted no. Who are you? Hmm? Who? Who are you? I want to know. I'm just joking. And then we say this, Pastor Brian, I voted for you. And we think that if you can get one person in that one role, then you can control the one person through your vote, through your tithe, through the way you serve. I don't like what's going on here. I'm just going to stop tithing. You want to rob God? Listen, I'm not out there like, oh, man, that person stopped tithing. I don't call Antonio or some of my posse and say, yo, go get them. Yo, 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 go get them. But what I will say happens is when people of God begin to rob God, God steps back and he's like, all right, listen, you're, you're, you're on your own. Like I bring a covering over you and blessing over your life. And I'm asking you to trust me in an area, but if you're not going to, then okay, I'm gonna step back. We start thinking these things. Are you, are you with me today? Okay, so the church has always been trying to do this. And we have got to stop. Because faith will never grow in the comfort zone. Because somehow we think that this is comfortable. It's not. We have to stop trying just to be comfortable, and we have to allow faith to increase. The whole reason why we're calling this thing this next four months is just a faith move. I was talking with somebody the other day, and he was telling me, he goes, Pastor Brian, at my church, the church I came from till we, you know, we, they moved to this area, he goes, the church I used to go to, he says, my pastor would get up on a Sunday, and he would say, hey, guys, these are the needs of the church, and today we need to raise $500,000. And he said, literally what would happen is everyone would be like, oh, pastor, pastor said we got $500,000, boom. And he said, literally in one Sunday, we'd raise $500,000. So he says to me, how is it faith if we're just trying to raise $300,000 and we're doing it over four months? That's kind of a good question. My response is this. It's baby steps. It's baby steps. I'm all about creating steps. I think that would be a leap right now. Is it faith? Yeah. But let's, let's create steps. Let's activate people's minds. Let's start getting people to think a different way, to respond a different way. Because sometimes what we have to do is we have to put the church in a whole new light. Sometimes we have to understand that the church is actually built upon Christ and that he is a firm foundation. And Peter told, and he literally was told, listen, Peter, you will now be called Peter, the rock. He said, I will build the church upon and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Not Pastor Brian, not the lead pastor. Jesus is the head of the church. Guess what? Not you. You're not the head of the church. The board's not the head of the church. Nope, nope, none of that. No, one, no one's the head of the church but him. Because he's the only one that embodies all five in a perfect unity. He's the only one that can keep the church moving forward. He's the only one. 
And so what Christ has done is he's placed himself in you and I. And he said, listen, I've called you, the church, to equip. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out. I'm going to send to the Father. But listen, don't worry. I'm sending you gifts. And the gifts are going to be placed among the people. And I'm calling some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds and some to be teachers. You have a breakdown inside of your sheet right now. Like in your bulletin, there was a breakdown of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers right inside of there. The reason that we wanted you to do that is I wanted you to be able to have that because some of you haven't been with us throughout the past few weeks, and I want you to encourage you to listen to the past few weeks. But just off, off the top, we got, a, we got a few moments. I, I want you just right now, if you know what your top gift is, if you're like, man, I really feel like I'm a strong, like I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. Or if you're like, man, I feel like I'm really strong in the evangelist. On the front side of that piece of paper, there's like, it says apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher. I want you just to write next to it on a scale of one to five. I want you to write number one as your top gift. And then I just want you to work down. So the last, number five, should be what you think your weakest gift is. So just take a moment. All right. I know some of you are like, I'm not done yet. It's all right. All right, so I've asked you to do this, and uh, some of you are sitting there like, I have no idea. So if you don't feel comfortable with this, don't, don't partake. Here's what I'm going to ask you. If you in the house right now feel like your primary, your number one gift is that of a teacher, real quickly raise your hand. Just, and I want you to keep it up for a minute. Raise your hand. Now look around the room. These are people who feel their primary gifting is teacher. All right, put your hand down. How many of you, it's shepherd? Raise your hand. All right, look around the room. Shepherds. All right, how many of you would say evangelist? Raise your hand. All right. Not as many. Sonny? What, what? All right. Prophet, prophet. Now, the, I, can I just say this, just real quickly? I know this is scary because you're like, how can I tell people that I'm a prophet of the Lord? 
and you think that there's like this greater responsibility. I'm telling you, it's not that it's just it's greater responsibility. This is a function that the Lord has primarily placed in you. So go ahead one more time. Raise your hand if you feel prophet. All right. Okay, apostolic. Apostolic. Okay. Joel, it's you and me, baby. That's all right. Now, we make a statement here at Bethany all the time, and it is this, that we are better together. Not one pastor, not one singular thing. We are better together. And if we are the church, right, so we're the church, and we're better together, then what actually happens is, is when the five-fold ministry gift is actually in operation in the way that God designed it and created it to be, the church becomes stable. Because now what happens is, is, yeah, the church becomes stable. Why is the church stable? Because everyone is fulfilling their role. Every person's fulfilling their role. Every function is in place. Everything is working together. And so when everyone thinks the church will crumble, the church doesn't crumble. Yes, 270 pounds <laughs> on these construction cones. Rubber construction cones. Pliable construction cones. But when all five are working in unity together, then it begins to happen. See, the minute you take one out, things are no longer stable. The minute you start taking stuff out, well, now we don't, we don't need prophets. Those are old school. Yeah, we don't need shepherds. Well, no, we, we do need shepherds. I mean, let's, we need shepherds. Oh, we need teachers. I mean, like, who's this in the, who's back here? Who's back here? Oh, apostles, eh. I mean, shoot, we only have two of them in the church. So, I don't need those. <laughs> don't, don't. Sorry, Joel. Hmm. I'm looking for a volunteer. See, doesn't seem all that stable, right? It's because it's not. Church is out of whack. Any time we remove one of the things that the Father, Jesus, gave us. Think about this. Jesus said, I'm going up. <laughs> I'm going to go. And I'm going to give you a gift. Work with them. Let them be present inside of the church body. Come on. Let it all be there. But we're like, no, we don't need them. I mean, come on, prophet. We really don't. But no, we do. We need each and every one of them to work together because the church right here, the church is built upon Jesus being the head, but it is filled with apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, all working together to provide the stability. And what happens is, is when Jesus is lifted high, the beauty of the cross is unity. See, when we lift Jesus high, 
The cross unifies us together. We have been unified with the Father as sons and daughters. The beauty of the cross, of Jesus being lifted high. He says, if I will be lifted high, I will draw all mankind. If we will lift him up. In our worship, when we lift Jesus high, in our gatherings, when we're, when we're here together in a time of preaching and teaching, like we lift Jesus high. In our kids' ministry, when Jesus is lifted high. In our student ministry, when Jesus is lifted high. What happens is, is unity happens. And we become unified together as sons and daughters with the Father. Was Jesus an apostle? Yes, he was the sent one. He was the source of all things, the designer, the creator, the dreamer, the restorer, the king. Was he the apostle? Yes. Was Jesus a prophet? Yes. He was holy, covenantal. He was faithful. He was the revealer. He was holy. He was personal. He was passionate. He was covenantal. He was worthy. He is omnipotent. Was Jesus an evangelist? Yes. He was, had saving mercy. He was creative. He was savior. He's abundant love. He is the source of joy. He's gracious. He's our healer. Is Jesus a shepherd? Yes, he's loving. He's fully present. He's a comforter. He's a fam- he's a, allows us to be a part of a family. He's the father. He's the righteous one. He's the relational one. He makes himself known. Was Jesus a teacher? Yes. He was filled with infinite wisdom and truth. He's Lagos, the word. He's the glorious one. He's whole. He's complete. He's wise. He's all-knowing. If Christ lives in you, you actually have all five gifts. And so let me flip the script. You can operate in all five gifts when you mature in your faith in Christ. But the church was never built upon one person having all five. So before some of you say, oh, I I could never be a prophet, can I just tell you, you have Jesus living in you. And if you have Jesus living in you, was he a prophet? Yes. Does that mean that there are going to be times in your maturing of faith that you will operate in the role of prophet? Yes. Does that mean it's your primary? No. In fact, on that sheet I had you list one to five. Why? Because all five will at some point in time in your life be called upon. As I've matured in my faith, there have been times where I've operated in the shepherd role, and there have been times where I've operated in the teacher role, and there have been times where I've operated in the evangelist role, and there have been times where I've operated in the prophet role, and times I've operated as the apostle. And even though apostle is my primary gift function, I operate in all of them. Is it because I have all the answers? No, it's because I have Christ living in me. And if Christ is living in me and he is the embodiment of all those things, there are going to come times where I will operate in that, but that is called maturing of faith. And if you don't take steps in your relationship with the Lord, you won't. Because you won't even understand it. Because what maturity brings about is maturity brings about what it takes to bring unity to these gifts. Maturity brings about what it takes to actually work together and to realize that we are better together. Maturity realizes that we actually, every follower of Jesus is a minister. Maturity says, I will grow in my faith. There's a phrase that's been said for many years, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The reality of it is, is we are at a preficit right now as a church of are we going to take the step into this? 
Or do we want to go back to one? One man who has all the answers. Or are we willing to say, nope, I actually have a role to play in the church. Yep, I can actually help bring stability, stability to the church. So you may be sitting there going, well, how can I do that? I'm going to share with you five things, and it's going to be simply a thought, and we're not going to unpack it. Five steps towards five. Be like a child. You want to grow in this? Be like a child. Number two, be a Padawan. Yes. Star Wars, some of you are wondering, what is that all about? Padawan is one who raises up another, so I guess I did have to unpack that. Padawan is someone who, like, so a Jedi Master raises up a Padawan. You guys got it? So be a Padawan. Be someone who is allowing others to raise you up. Okay, all right. I said I wouldn't unpack it, sorry, but I realize not all people are Star Wars lovers. So um, here we go. Uh, be a long-distance runner. Be a long-distance runner. Some of you are like, <laughs> yeah, I want to unpack that. Okay. You know what that implies. Here we go. Be an explorer. Be an explorer. Explore. And number five, be an architect. Be like a child, be a Padawan, be a long-distance runner, be an explorer, and be an architect. What will happen is that when the church stabilizes itself by allowing all five to work together, whew, stuff happens. Stability comes. This is always how it's been meant to be. So here's what I'm going to ask. The first step as a church, those were individuals, is this. First step as a church body is repentance. in this room today are people who represent the church. And I think we need to repent. I think we need to repent and we need to ask the Lord to forgive us of wrong thinking. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us of selfish pride of control. It's so crazy because this message coming here this week and all these things coming in and literally there have been just moments that have happened and Kasha and I have been talking about this where the enemies tried to reel his nasty, ugly head at times and literally Kasha and I were driving last night back home and as we were driving I just said, it's not, not on my watch. And I said, we gotta pray. And we need to repent. Because the enemy does not want this to happen. He doesn't. He is scared to death right now 
at what could happen at Bethany if the church would awaken and the people would realize But it happens, it happens first through repentance. And so I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. You're here in this room and you are a part of this church. Some of you have been a part of this church for a long time. It's time to repent. And I'm going to ask you to do something today. If today you representing the church would say, you know what, Father, I repent. I repent of the way I've thought, the way I've worked through things. I repent of things that I've allowed in my heart and in my mind. I repent. Then I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. And you're going to represent the church today, standing to their feet and repenting of wrong thinking. This isn't you personally, this is you standing in the gap for your church, your church body, and standing up and saying, I'm gonna be a part of repentance. I'm gonna be a part of standing to my feet. Father, across this room, This isn't because you have sin. This isn't because you've done things wrong. It's you standing for your church and saying, I am the church. I represent the church. I'm a part of the church. I have a calling on my life. I have a function that God's called me to play. And you're standing to your feet and you're saying, I will stand in the gap. I will be one who will come to the Lord and with repentance in my heart will say, Father, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us of wrong thinking. Come on, all across this room, just lift your voice to the Father right now. Father, forgive us. Change our hearts. Change our minds. God, change our church. Allow us to be who you've called us to be. Allow us, God, to allow others to stand. We wanna lift you up, Father. We want to see you lifted up. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring us to a place, God, where we would recognize, God, the repentance in our hearts, that you have a bigger plan and that you have a purpose and that you're calling us to something greater. Jesus, you are living and active and present inside of us. And we put you at the head of the church. God, we put you at the head and we say, Jesus, have your way. I'll play my role. I'm sorry, God, if I've ever thought differently, if I've, if I've processed through things differently. No, God, I repent for the church, the bride. And I ask for your forgiveness. And Father, from this day forward, I know this. That the enemy is scared, spitless, and you, he better be. Because when the church arises, the scriptures declare, and God's word does not return void, that the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so, Father, we release the church, the church of Jesus Christ. We release it upon our community, upon Lenaway County, upon the state of Michigan, upon our nation, upon the world, God. God, we take steps of repentance and we say, Father, God, forgive us, but God, now we move forward. And we say, God, have your way in us. God, be who you've called us to be. God, be who you've called us to be.
be who you've called us to be. Be who you've called us to be. So we're going to close this gathering. Everyone look up here at me real quick. We're going to close this gathering with this. There are people who are right by you. You may not know them. I know. It's all right. I'm going to ask you right now to pray for somebody who's on your side. We're not going to have the host come up at the end and close it out. Here's, this is how we're going to end today. We're going to end with you praying for the person. So I want you to look at the person who's next to you. And I know this is going to be really awkward because you're going to look at them and you're going to say, Hi, I'm Apostle Brian. Or I'm Evangelist Sally. Whoever it is, that's fine. That's your primary gift. Let's be okay with people being who God's called them to be, right? And then what you're going to do is you're going to pray for them. And you're going to know, you're going to say, oh, man, if they're an apostle, okay, now I know how to pray for that person because they have an apostle function on their life. And so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for those areas. Okay, got it? And then once you're done praying, you're dismissed. All right?